Welcome to a conversation with John Philpin. Each week, John cuts through the noise and fills your ears with interviews, stories, and most importantly, clarity. Clarity in our ever-changing and shifting world to put people first. Over to you, John. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you are on this planet of ours. I am delighted to introduce to you today, Richard Deslande and Christian Giacomo to the People First podcast. Now, we've never done this before. We have two people guesting on the show at the same time, and it will surprise listeners to know that I'm going to shut up for most of the time. Christina, if you remember, was on the show uh, a couple of months ago now. Um, She was the one that had the amazing disco history and is now an industrial philosopher. And it's interesting that out of that conversation that we had, my old friend Richard Desland started pinging me email about, yeah, brother, right on. Not quite the words he used, but you know that was my interpretation of what he wrote. And it, we just had such an interesting exchange. I thought, well, let's turn this into a podcast. So that's what we're doing today. We've got Richard and Christina on today. We've been wrapping back and forth off, offline about what should we talk about. And we now have enough material for, I don't know, seven or eight podcasts. We're going to reduce it to the one for now. And the one we're going to reduce it to is something which I've been wrestling with a little bit in my own head. This, as we all know, is not a political podcast. This is a podcast about business. But most of you will know a line from uh, Senator Romney a few years ago where he talked about corporations are people too. And one of the things I'm wrestling is why aren't people corporations? Why do we as people not get to do what corporations do. And the thing that's hit hard in my mind just recently is the movement of Oracle and Tesla down to uh, HPE, down to Texas, so they can avoid corporation tax. They're not really going to move their total headquarters down there. It's a tax dodge, as far as I'm concerned. What's interesting to me is if we as individuals move to different states, I don't think the same thing quite happens. You start getting to the question of, well, where is the work actually done? And where are you headquartered and so on and so forth? It's not quite as easy. If you earn a lot of money in one year as an individual, you pay the tax in that year. As a corporation, you offset it against the future. And if you have a bad year two years out, you don't pay quite as much tax. Not true for an individual. So that's what's running through my head. And so I'm going to throw out this question to both Richard and Christina. And uh, Richard just told me this is his first podcast. I don't believe it. He looks very confident to me. Anyway, so that's the question. That's the thing we want to talk about. People versus corporations. Why is there a difference? Why should there be a difference? And so to give Richard a bit of a break, Christina, why don't you go first? Have a little, introduce yourself a bit talk about what I've just been talking about. Change the subject if you want to. That's okay. And I'm going to shut up. Thank you, John. And I'm so pleased to be here with Richard too. You know, the the notion of the corporation's personhood or the corporation as a person or people versus a corporation, I mean, there's so many different, so many different angles to it, but specifically Um, Oh, I just realized I forgot to introduce myself. Hi, everyone. (laughs) So I see I'm already ready to jump in. Just want to dig into the topic. But my name is Christina DiGiacomo. I'm an industrial philosopher. I like taking philosophy and applying it to workplace challenges and, you know, delivering ideas and inspiration. 
uh, for leaders and employees and organizations as a whole using wisdom and principles and, and all kinds of uh, great knowledge that we've had in front of us the whole time uh, and actually trying to create great workplaces using this guidance. So back to your question, John, I think there's just been this natural tension or this you know, between corporations being these entities and people being sort of subjected to corporations as these entities and the rules being different for both. And I totally get that. What I'm seeing or what I'm interested in is seeing where they intersect and seeing actually how corporations operate as an organism in and of themselves. Like, could corporations actually have egos? Could corporations actually have heart and things that we understand as human beings? Could there be an element in corporations you know, that are relevant. And I think there's a case to be made that corporations that are actually being of service in the world have elements of humanity in them. So this is sort of the area I'm thinking of. But I also do understand that the individual and the person, you know, can't necessarily or does not have the freedom or get the free pass that corporations usually get in our economy and in our society. So I painted some broad strokes here. Richard, have at it. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Thank you. And uh, I'll do a quick intro. I'm Richard DeLone, just a run-of-the-mill Silicon Valley engineer with an interest in just learning how to be the best version of me that I can be uh, and trying to figure out how to create some way that we, we as humans don't have to keep learning the same lessons generation after generation after generation. Sometimes I read some of the things that have been written in, in the ancient past and I wonder why isn't this just permeating society? Why do we have to all discover this over and over and over again? So as to this question, the big problem I have with corporate personhood is that, you know, Christina had asked if they have heart and I think they can start with heart because they start with often with people who have heart and who have uh, vision and humanity, but um, without responsibility, without the repercussions of actions, um, I think they necessarily tend towards uh, sociopathic personality. And you see that with Google. You know, they started off with don't be evil. And now not only did they throw off that slogan in a, a fit of self-awareness, but they arguably are just, you know, not not even trying anymore. So I would tend towards um, rather trying to make people more like corporations or getting them to have the same rights as corporations. I would tend more towards no longer recognizing corporations as people and holding the people who are behind those corporations responsible for the decisions that ultimately are made because ultimately those decisions are made by actual people. That's my first take on it. So, yeah, I absolutely hear what you're saying. And Richard, you talked about one of my biggest beefs 
ever. And I'm so with you, which is the what you first said. Why are we relearning the thing that has been in front of us forever? And oh God, that grinds my gears. Like literally, do we need to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on a research grant to find out if happiness makes people productive. Like we don't need to do that. Right. So let's get to work. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's stop with the lip service, get some like change agents, organizational development, people, philosophers, like everybody getting in there and doing the work because the reason why it still keeps getting recycled, like all these ideas get repackaged and regurgitated and rejargonized. And it comes out like resilience, the new thing. It's like, no, it's not, but okay, let's slap a book cover on it and make it a billion dollar industry with like assessments and crap. And, you know, the problem is that actually doing the work is hard. It's hard. And no one wants to do that. Everyone wants to just keep talking about it because doing the work of change, doing the work of completely um, revamping and reimagining the systems that aren't working is freaking hard and no one wants to do it. So everyone just wants to keep relabeling crap. So anyway, I love you for saying all of that. Totally grinds my gears. I'm with you. With regards, and, and I hear, I absolutely hear you too on corporations who start out with like a good mission and then somehow something along the way, it gets corrupted. And I really feel like when a corporation engages with the world, it becomes a mirror of that world. And so if our world could use some fixing if there are just some things that are fundamentally wrong with our world and the way we think and the way we operate, a corporation is just going to mirror that, exploit that, find loopholes in it. And then, and then that's what I think, you know, that's, that's what I think sort of dismantles that altruistic mission that a corporation kind of starts with when it actually hits the world. Just to interject, a couple of times now we've talked about when corporations, when corporations, Richard's point earlier on, I think is really important. Corporations are made up of people. So the do no evil was back in the Larry and Serge days when they started off. And though they're still part of Google, they've moved on and other people are now running that company. You know, we saw the early days of Apple, the beliefs of was and, and jobs was coming through, it lost its way when they were moved aside and other people put into place. At the end of the day, a corporate's job is to maximize shareholder value. I don't care what words they use around it, but that's what they do because otherwise they don't get money into their company, build investment and so on and so forth. So that's what they act. It's like now you're watching all these companies suddenly saying, oh, we're not supporting that pack. <clears throat> they have done for four years, but suddenly now, as you say, they're reflecting what they see around them. So I, I do think it's important to remember that everybody in a corporation are part of that. If you know, we talk about whistleblowers in co inside corporations, 
And there is definitely something that goes on when somebody tries to speak out about what's going on. They're kind of thrown out. I mean, that's happening in Google right now around some of the AI work that's going on, where you've got ethics people putting their hands up and saying, uh, excuse me, fired. So let's, let's not lose sense of the fact that people inside those corporations are making the decisions. There is a reflection of their heart, and that heart sometimes disappears. So, Richard, I saw you nodding your head to the Google. Talk a little bit to what this means means to you, because you probably have the three of us the closest to what's going on with the with the Google um, ethics and the firings and what people are actually protesting about. Could you talk to that a bit? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, as far as I understand the story, there's a group inside Google that are made up of uh, minorities, and their job was to sort of be the conscience of the AI development. Uh, efforts at Google, and they did some actual research, and they discovered that there was some bias in the AI that was being developed. And when they tried to bring it up, they've been completely marginalized. Uh, so the group that Google has put in place for this particular reason, Google doesn't want to know what they actually have to say. What they really wanted was some sort of a rubber stamp. You see similar things. You know, I a few years ago I went back and I saw a Facebook post that I had posted uh, a few years ago. I think it was Apple. They had a problem with their diversity chief, which was uh, a black woman, and they ended up firing her and replaced her with a white woman. So I don't know that these corporations are serious about the things that they're saying that they are serious about. Um, it's like you said, they are more driven towards profits and shareholder value. And something that Christina had said was interesting to me that that they exploit loopholes and they do exploit loopholes. Um, and there's this strange feedback loop where they create loopholes and then they exploit them as well. So I think it all boils down to a lack of repercussions and a lack of actual responsibility for what happens when you make certain decisions that that actually hurt people and the corporations, what happens when they do something that is not in the public good or that actually hurts people. Somebody steps down, they resign, they get a great retirement package. Somebody steps up and takes their place, gives lip service, and it's around and around we go. Very, very true. Round the roundabouts. So so let, let's flip this around a little bit and move away from the people. And this whole sort of dialogue today started from sort of industrial philosophies. And Richard, you were talking a little bit about some of the philosophies that you've explored that seem to sort of resonate with what Christina was talking about in her show, and indeed what she writes about and what she does, which just reminds me, before we get going on that, Christina, when we talked, you had just launched your new program. Just give us a quick update on that. Oh, yeah. The Mental Detox. So thementaldetox.com is a 14-day program. Just go from frantic to focused in 14 days. Combines uh, concepts, ideas, and practices from philosophy, stoicism, Emerson, transcendentalism, and also brain health science. So it's wisdom and science. Uh, You get a video lesson every day text messages with inspiring quotes, a workbook, some, you know, books, and then also you get access to me. So you can chat, send me a chat, um, and you get access to me and I can answer all your questions. Uh, Yeah, it's, it takes you from mental chatter to things that matter. So the mental detox. 
is it sort of catching on? Are people sort of saying, oh, yeah, I need that access to Christina? I feel honored that I've sort of had access to you now twice and I haven't even signed up. That's pretty cool. But are, are they signing up? I, yeah, actually, I'm getting a lot of interest. Uh, I think it's the perfect time right now. People are, you know, they're still struggling with everything that's going on, whether it's information overload or, you know, stressful jobs. And they just need an, they need an outlet, they need a way to decompress, but they also need a way to manage their thoughts because there's a lot of things that are competing in their minds, a lot of, you know, just a, just a lot going on and people just need a way to kind of dump all of that. So it's the perfect time right now. I'm pretty sure it's going to re resonate for Richard, who I know. T Richard, tell us a little bit about your initiative, because I know you've been building environments around supporting amateur supports. And tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing and, and some of the challenges you're hitting, both from a business point of view and also maybe personally. I mean, does some of what Christina was saying resonate just with what you're going through as, as they, what do you, they call you these days, a solo entrepreneur? You're, you're a guy trying to make a difference as far as I'm concerned. So talk a bit about what you're doing and, and how that ties to. Yeah. Well, first, I'd, I'd like to say that uh, mental, what did you call it? Mental chatter to. From mental chatter to things that matter. Yeah. So good. I can tell you that, you know, so many things going on in the world and there's so much news and so much churn and all, all of that actually. So I'll segue into the um, the work that I've been doing around youth sports. So we we were um, launching with a, onboarding the largest customer by far in May of 2020, right before the pandemic hit, we got through two successful weekends with them when they ordered the lockdown. And I had just spent three months basically working almost 24 seven, I, I didn't see my family for three months. And so when the lockdown went into effect, that basically meant that onboarding was over. And I know they had said, Oh, it's for 10 days, it's for 20 days. But I had been watching the news. And I knew that this was going to be 18 months at the minimum. So for me, that was pretty depressing. And I was glued to the news, trying to figure out and trying to predict what was going to happen. I was, uh, yeah, and I went into what I, what I would consider the first, the first real depression of my life. I, I, I'm a very happy person. And, you know, I've been through a lot of hard things, but none of them have really gotten me down. I've always been happy through whatever has come my way. Uh, but this, I think just being glued to the news and not being able to get off of it. I mean, probably reading the news and digging and trying to figure out what's going to happen for several weeks. And I just kind of spun down into a depression with it. And, and it was a mental chatter. I couldn't sleep. And the only thing that, that got me off me was a detox. I just went cold turkey, no news. And it just, it just got me out of it. So Christina, I'm sure that that program is going to help a lot of people. What was your other question, John? It was more to explore a little bit about what you were doing with youth sports and what that business was about and hopefully where it is still going to be going because I remember it being something definitely useful, definitely advantageous and recognizing that sport is definitely not exactly something which we're all on top of these days. When we emerge from this, which we will, what you've got, I think, actually has uh, a great future. So just talk a little bit about what that is. 
Sure. So we provide a software system for youth sports organizations, uh, clubs and leagues and teams to manage what they do and kind of stay focused on playing and not so much on figuring out the technical aspects and uh, coordination and, and communication of how to keep these things running. And you're definitely right that sports are are so important for kids. I grew up playing sports, but never really realized how important it was until I got involved with this organization, Sport Links. Um, you know, my partner has been doing it for 20 years, and he primarily has been working in the Oakland area. And it, it just keeps kids out of trouble and gives them something positive to do, something uh, productive and constructive. And it's just so important to them. One of the things that I learned was most difficult, especially in the more impoverished areas is lack of fields. So this is something that we've been trying to focus a bit on, which is making sure that there are venues to play because if if you don't have a field, you can't play. And a lot of these places, they don't have fields or they're in disrepair. So we've been working on launching a nonprofit part of our organization that will focus on helping repair and build new fields for these areas. So in the future, once we get past this pandemic, I think sports, again, have a very important role to play with uh, with the kids. And I, I know how hard it is for them not to be playing right now. In fact, if you go out, they're not playing each other, but they are all practicing. If you go out and look at the fields, all the teams are out there practicing and they're just following the letter of the law, which you know, bless them. They're, they're doing the best they can and the parents need to get their kids out. So it's important, especially in today's age where it's so easy to just veg out on video games and Netflix and things like that. Getting out is important. So, and on the part of the fields that you're talking about, would also that would be increasing utilization of good fields. So I sometimes drive around and you sort of think you keep on passing this big field. Nobody ever seems to use it, yet it probably is used once a week. Is part of that what you're also looking at? Definitely. We have a, a very good scheduling component to our, our app and gives you lots of views and ways of looking at it and making sure that you're maximizing the field. And what that does is it allows organizations to book just what they need. So a lot of times what they'll do because they don't have the visibility, they'll just book it, you know, eight to seven from during the whole season. And they're only using it maybe 50% of the time. So if they have better visibility on what their, what their um, utilization is, then they can book much less of the field and others can use it. And they can, um, they can make sure that the field is used uh, much more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. So you're still thinking this might be another eight, well, not 18 months, but certainly another six, seven months to go, if at least before this starts emerging the other side. Yeah, I think six months to a year. And I know they, they, they're, uh, they're letting up on some of the lockdowns, but they've been doing this continually cycling through lockdowns and releasing yeah. up for a little bit and locking down. So I think we have a ways to go. Christina, what are you sensing in the people that you're you're working with about this sort of uh, because because Richard Richard's work and what he's been developing of, as about sport etc. But but it really applies to everybody For the physical engagement. You know, people talk about Zoom calling like, like indeed we're doing now, and it would be better to get face to face. But to me, it's not so much face to face as just recognize that you need to get out. Now that I thought was is a fairly significant part of what what you get involved with in, in your in in your work. The sort of the detox is not just about the brain. So what do you see? 
So uh, first, I just want to acknowledge, Richard, for uh, your share about your experience. It, you know, it's so common. And I know so many people that are going, going through that. And uh, so I just want to acknowledge you. And also, I love what you're doing with athletics. I mean, actually, there's such an amazing tradition in ancient Greece and, you know, um, and, and Rome around athletics and, and that being really, and the Spartans, I mean, Spartan women, like were just badasses. Like there's such a rich tradition of athletics. And actually I found this really amazing quote from Aristotle. And it's such a nice segue to your question too, John, with what I'm, what I'm also seeing out there with the constraints around being out and being active. And he says, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies for the hardest victory is over the self. I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies for the hardest victory is over the self. And I think that's the real struggle for a lot of people right now. There's been these competing narratives uh, with how we're supposed to be reacting and experiencing this whole thing, right? One narrative is full-blown, oh my God, panic, crazy town. The other, and if you're not, there's something wrong with you. And the other narrative is be productive, start something new, expand your horizons, you know, paint that pro, you know, paint that painting, like start that jewelry business. And if you're not feeling that way, there's something wrong with you. And so what I'm seeing now is people who are who are struggling either within those narratives of what they should be doing or how they should be reacting and finding that they're not reacting according to those narratives. And they're wondering like where their minds are at or where they should be or how they should be feeling. And there's a lot of confusion. And then, you know, you couple that with the constraints, the physical constraints. And it's like people are struggling with what to do with themselves while they're facing the tyranny of their own minds. So, you know, my, my feeling is that just keep it simple. The last thing to pile on is any other expectations, judgments, things, go out for a walk, listen to a bird sing, you know, go take a look at a tree and look at a leaf you know, nature is so restorative. You could do that on your own. So anyway, you know, that that's my commentary is really the, the victory here is over the self in terms of where we're at with this whole thing. And in those two extremes that you talk about, you know, so in my mind, the mental model is the dis- normal distribution curve. And you have those two extremes with a vast majority of us sitting somewhere in the middle that we've not created anything, but neither are we panicked. And we're just, you know, plodding along thinking, I wonder when it's going to get better. Is that a right thought about where you think most people are? 
Agreed. However, a lot of times the tension with us is in what we think we should be doing versus what we're doing. And I also feel that a lot of people can feel a little bit like, well, something spectacular should be happening right now. Or <laughs> like, okay, everything's just sort of business as usual. That's weird. Like we're not yeah. living in business as usual times. Why do I still have to be in back-to-back -back meetings every day with my boss that doesn't value me? Like, okay. So, and then there's this sort of, there's also a feeling of guilt, perhaps a little bit, because you see like every, you know, other people's lives that are just a total trash fire. And you're like, well, I'm actually kind of okay. Yeah, like exactly. So yeah. there's that that too. Like right now, wherever anybody is, they're thinking about another place, state of being that they're not. And it's become more exacerbated by the current circumstances in our society, way more than before. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, there's, you're absolutely right. I've got friends that I know of that are having really hard times, and I know where they're at and what they're doing. And I got other friends, a, a long-time friend who's a very successful author who writes a certain category of business book. I don't think he did it because of lockdown. I know it's been in his head for a while, but lockdown has been used to produce a book that is nothing to do with business. It goes live in Amazon in uh, August, I think it is. But you know, just so totally off the wall and so different. Some people will say, ah, it was because of lockdown. I know it wasn't, but at the same time, we assume that because of something happening, that's why that happened, because it's so different. And I, I think we shouldn't be uh, projecting, maybe, as a word. Richard, what are your thoughts around what Christina was saying? Uh, well, I love her phrase. She has great phrases. Tyranny of their own minds. It's pandemic or no, it, it's we all have a tyranny of our own minds, you know, and, and also what she was saying about victory over self. That's the lifelong process, you know, it's uh, uh, and it, it is the greatest victory to have dominion over oneself. That's the lifelong journey is, is dominion over self. I think most religions teach that and philosophies. I think there's two things about the pandemic that I wanted to just talk about quickly. One is that I think part of what's so difficult for people is this one foot in, one foot out uncertainty. So they say this, they say that, and we don't really know what's coming, right? So you can't plan anything. And this uncertainty breeds fear, and then fear breeds panic. And so it's a snowball in your mind, and it's very hard to live with uncertainty and with one foot in and one foot out of anything. So I think that's really a lot of the difficulty people have is you can't really make plans. You can't really, you know, I have, I have nieces who are in college. One of them had just started her junior year at Davis after having gone to community college. Davis was supposed to be a great thing for her. She was supposed to go and ride horses and, and do all of these things, but never happened. So now she's graduated and doesn't know what to do. I mean, who, who could? Uh, it was hard enough when we were coming up and, and graduating to figure out what we were going to do. And now they're they're being thrust into a world of uncertainty, the likes of which no, nobody's ever known before, I don't think. Obviously, there have been other times of uncertainty, but I think this is particularly hard because we're being told different things all the time from different people. 
The other thing I'd like to bring up is that despite the difficulties of 2020, I was looking at pictures with my wife the other day, and we both agreed it was our best year yet. So I've talked to other people, and it has been a blessing in disguise for a lot of people, you know, grown closer together. We've been homeschooling our kids, which has been amazing, participating in that together in a lot of ways. I feel like this is a, the world is being forced to self-reflect, you know, it's like we've all been playing video games nonstop and now suddenly the power goes out and yeah, that's hard because you've been playing video games and you don't know how to think for yourself or how to sit there and like Christina said, deal with the tyranny of your own mind. But as a world now, we're all forced to stop and self-reflect and that is terrifying and hard and for the whole world to do it all at once, I, I don't think it's ever happened. I think it's probably also true that most people don't know how to do that, right? So we're trained, not educated, to operate in a certain way. And uh, we've been operating that way. And, and it, it's, you know, my favorite analogy is always how we're basically trained through school and university of how to work for somebody. And now we're saying, oh, become an entrepreneur, you know, work for yourself. Well, where was that training that taught you how to do that? The same with this, you know, self-reflection. I mean, I'm the worst. I mean, people will tell you I, I don't self-reflect very much at all. I am very, very bad at it. But at least I know that I'm bad. I'm aware and I'm aware in myself that I don't do it. <laughs> Whereas some people don't even know that they don't do it. But it is important. And, and, and I, I'm slightly being slightly extreme here. But the point is that if you don't know how to, you know, so what, what you're doing with your course, Christina, opens up minds and ideas. Uh, it's interesting. I've been watching the podcast world since I started this back in August. And I think there was something like 60 or 70,000 podcasts that started in the pandemic year of 2020. That's a lot of podcasts. Now, you know, it's on the uprise anyway, but I sit in on groups and there's various mastermind groups I belong to and different networks of podcasters as we all try to learn our way through all of this. And it's interesting how many of them are self-help groups and sort of people sort of, you know, inside the mind and health at work and lots and lots of these kinds of ideas from people that, you know, it seems to me that they, they're totally unqualified to be doing this, but they've off they go and they do it. As opposed to like Christina, who's, who's lived a life, who's got a practice, who builds, builds this business. Um, you know, like so much in, in, in the modern internet world, we've got a lot of sort of a snake oil salesman going on that is whoever sells the best gets the order, not necessarily who is the best. But that, that's a separate topic. But thank you for sharing, Richard. And again, as Christina said, for, for sharing what's gone on with you. Also, I'm listening to your voice, and I, I know you've been ill just recently, and you're obviously not fully recovered. So thank you for make, making the effort to join us today because you're, I, can, I know you well enough to know that that voice is not your natural voice. So, so thank you so much. Christina, it looks like you're, you're, you're pushing your hand up almost and saying, me, 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 me. <laughs> what, what are you trying to say? I'll shut up. So I so actually want to go back to that topic that you were just talking about, the notion of the they who sell the loudest gets yep, the order and and us sort of experts or people who know what they're talking about kind of get relegated to. It just brought up this philosophy I had when I was a DJ, actually, and I believed as a DJ that the cream rose to the top. The really good DJs 
like there were the there were the hack DJs who didn't exactly have the musicality or the technique, but they had some sort of gimmicky thing or they always had the best tracks. And yeah, they'd get maybe a residency at a good club or something. But then there were the DJs that were just so good. And those were the ones that actually became the superstar DJs. So there is still something to be said about expertise. There's still something to be said about someone who's actually has the stories. Like I have the stories of how Socrates saved me from my, you know, the tyranny of my mind. Like I could tell you stories of how I looked bosses dead in the eye and stood up for my ideas because I was practicing Emerson. Right. So like there's something to be said about experience. And for those people out there who don't have those stories, who don't have those experiences, they will eventually have an unsustainable platform. And it's the people who actually study, experience, reflect that those, the cream rises to the top. So I, I have faith, John. I'm so glad you do. And again, there are similar stories. I, I don't know the DJ world as well, but I watch from outside the world of musicianship. And I know that musically, there are people playing the streets and in bars that are musically as good as some of our top musicians that are selling all the singles that they do. Somehow or other, they haven't got to the top. And a lot of it is business prowess, the ability to do what's needed of you beyond being a great musician. That's probably what you're talking about, right? So it's, it's, I'm glad you're a great guitarist, but you know, I'm really I'm sorry. If you're not prepared to actually you know, travel to America to do this gig, then really and truly, what are we wasting our time for? So, so there is a business element to what goes on. But, but I think you're absolutely right as well that, that um, eventually we see through the snake oil and I'm hoping that we'll see through it a lot quicker than we seem to be. And again, I think going back to Richard's point earlier, that sort of, you know, that everything's on break, so you're self-reflecting, and what do you do at home? Because podcasts have suddenly launched up, there's a lot more people probably listening. But when we get back to normal, will they continue to listen? Who will they choose to listen? That will probably be the great sort of um, sorting out, if you will, of, of what's going on. But um, yes, th thank, thank you for that, Christina. Thank you, Richard, any thoughts about anything? <laughs> well, it is pretty amazing how many snake oil salesmen there are. And, you know, you see some 20-year-old kid try to sell her, sell you on this idea that he's got a program just for you. And sometimes I wonder, how do they figure out how to sell this stuff? I mean, it's just amazing. Like the 23-year-old coaches. I'm a business yeah, coach. Exactly. Really. How old are you? 23. Got it. Yeah. The one thing that it does tell me, though, is that there is a great need out there. Otherwise, these snake oil salesmen wouldn't have anything to sell, no, nobody to sell to. So there is a great, great need out there for real gurus and real people with real advice like Christina. And I, I hope that they do uh, – that people do find them because we're all trying to make our way through this, and we need real advice, not – fake advice from people who don't know what they're talking about. Thank you, Richard. That was uh, that was re really interesting and, as always, insightful. I think we've been talking for a little while now, probably time to bring it to a, a, a wrap. I personally have really enjoyed this conversation immensely. Um, and I, 
particularly just having two people that don't know each other yet I, I knew in my heart you're on the same wavelength even though you're traveling in, in different lines so thank you both very much for joining us um, in the show notes, I, I've got Christina's information. I'll do some double promotion around what she's doing with her work. But Richard, is there anything where you would like me to point anything about what you're doing within the show notes so people can find who you are and where you are? And say it now, and I'll put it in the show notes later as well. Not, not at the time. I mean, we have our uh, we have our sport thing that we're doing, but uh, we're not we're not ready to promote some of the nonprofit stuff yet. So okay, that's a fine. So before we close off, is there anything extra that either of us you'd like to say, so sort of to bring us any commentary on the world at large uh, before we finally close off? So Christina, why don't, why don't you go first? To thine own self, be true. We've talked a lot about fake charlatan you know, misinformation, the lies our minds tell us, and to thine own self be true. Thank you very much, Christina. Insightful and visionary as always. Richard? I can't say it better than that. You know, recently I found a note that I'd written to myself 20 years ago about something that I needed to change, something that was deeply important and that I knew I needed to work on. And only in the last year or so, I've actually finally committed to it and figured it out and had victory over self in that sense. And a little bit sad that it took me 20 years. You know, you look back and you say, you think you discovered that you needed to fix this last year. And no, you've discovered this years and years and years ago. In fact, you've probably rediscovered it over and over and over and didn't have the courage to face it at each of those times. But, you know, we go through life and we finally are ready at certain points to tackle the tough challenges and changes about ourselves. So to thine own self be true can't be said better than that. And to a certain extent, what you're saying there is the personal version of what Christina was saying, how we as society keep on relearning and then forgetting and relearning the same things. And, and essentially what you're saying is, yep, it's part of the human condition almost. Yes, definitely part of the human condition. All right. Well, listen, I want to thank you both very, very much for coming along today. I've got a couple of podcasts in the can ready to go up. So, but I will let you know when this goes live, probably in a couple of weeks time, I'm going to guess. But until we next talk, I want to thank you both very much. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you, John. And thank you, Christina. Thank you, Richard. We look forward to you joining us next time. And if you found this interesting, please do share the podcast. All the links referenced today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate in connecting directly with John Philpin. Stay safe and stay well.